Hi, Brad Jersak here. I'm here to tell you about my new book, A More Christ-like Way. We're going to be talking about the Jesus Way, or the Jesus Walk. I'll start the book with some conversation about deconstruction, which is a very popular term these days. And I'll offer some alternative metaphors that I think are more gentle, such as art restoration, for example. Then we'll get into four counterfeit ways, ways that we've constructed that try to co-opt Christianity and turn it into Christless religion. Ways that have a moralistic attitude to it, or perhaps us-them mentalities and exclusion, or civil religion for that matter. But then we'll get to the heart of the book. Seven facets of the Christ-like way. And those facets will include such gems as radical inclusion, radical hospitality, radical surrender, radical forgiveness, and so on. In this book, Jesus shows us what it is to be human. In the book, we've talked about self-giving, radical self-giving, radical hospitality, radical unity, radical recovery, peacemaking and forgiveness, surrender to God. And then today we're talking about chapter 7 in the finale, radical compassion and radical justice. Chapter 7 is what I call a highlighter killer. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you try to highlight every sentence that you like, you just end up highlighting the whole page. And you've just got a yellow-soaked page. I love this chapter. It personally meant a lot to me. And I wish that we had a lot more time to dissect it. But I'm going to hit the key themes from radical compassion, radical justice. So during the shutdown, a few months ago, somebody who's a member of the well shared a meme with me that I want to share with you, and I think captures the message of, of chapter 7 and the finale. Maybe you've, have you seen a meme like this? Most of us have. Yeah, it says, we're not all in the same boat. And during the shutdown, there are people who say, well, you know, we're all in the same boat here. Well, I don't know. We're not all in the same boat. We are in the same storm, but some of us have yachts, some have canoes, and some are drowning. Just be kind and help whoever you can. When that person shared this meme with me, I thought, yeah, that does capture this experience. And, and yes, it's true economically, and we'll talk about that in a second, but it's true in all kinds of ways. For me and my family, the shutdown was a blessing in some ways because I got to spend more time with my kids than I ever have. But think, if you live alone, your experience of the shutdown was much different. We're just not all in the same boat. And Brad Jersak opens up chapter 7 with what I see as, as the core of the ending of the book, and it's this word, empathy. Empathy. According to Hodges and Myers in the Encyclopedia of Social Psychology, empathy is often def defined as understanding another person's experience by imagining oneself in that other person's situation. One understands the other person's experience as if it were being experienced by the self but without the self actually experiencing it. So they go on to say that, that empathy is the foundation of the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7. F help me finish it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And these, these social psychologists say empathy is the core of the golden rule because empathy is putting ourselves into another person's situation, imagining that we're, that we're them, trying to walk a mile in their shoes, trying to see life from their perspective, trying to understand what their struggles are and their pains and their hopes and their dreams. Empathy is, is entering into the experience of another person to suffer with them. 
It's different from sympathy. Sympathy is, is more uh, feeling pity for somebody from a distance, like, oh, I feel sorry for that person, but sympathy is kind of distant. Empathy is entering into their experience. And so Brad Jersak writes on, on page 221 that Jesus practices radical identification with the human race on that first Christmas when Jesus took, put on flesh and became a, a person, and that he, Jesus, fulfills all love by the supreme act of empathy, becoming flesh and taking on the likeness of the fallen human race in order to heal the human race. And so Brad Jersak makes the point that Jesus identifies with us, Jesus enters into our experience, Jesus shows us empathy, that Jesus practiced the most supreme act of empathy when he entered into our experience. Now, you know that not every professing Christian in the world sees it this way. As we've said here in this series and in the Vintage Jesus series that we did before this, there is this strange phenomenon happening in the United States. It's not the first time that it's happened, but it's, it's, we're seeing a resurgence after decades of this being in, in the background. We're seeing a, a form of Christianity that's being used usually for a political agenda or can be a financial agenda or other, other agendas, but it doesn't look anything like Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? We're seeing this culture war Christianity in which the, the words are the same, but when they say Jesus, I don't, and I see what they think Jesus wants us to do, I don't see that as, as what Jesus wants us to do when I read the Gospels. It's like we're talking about two different Jesuses. We're talking about two different gods. And so uh, somebody asked me if I had heard of, of a book that just came out recently. And you may not believe this, but in, in the latest installment of 2021, this is a book that was just released by a Christian group. And, and the, the title is The Enticing Sin of Empathy, How Satan Corrupts Through Compassion. You're like, could you repeat that? <laughs> what? What was that? The enticing sin of empathy, how Satan corrupts through compassion. The point of the book is that if you empathize with people and you really want to walk in their, their shoes and see life from their perspective, you might, accept, you might end up accepting things we shouldn't accept. You might end up, you know, and uh, really not fighting the culture war Christianity that they're talking about here. It's like empathy is something to be avoided. And even folks who would see faith much differently than me, you know, your conservative evangelical crowd, even a lot of folks there in that, in that crowd have, have seen this book and said, whoa, that's too far. That's, that's not what we're trying to do here. They called empathy a sin. But Jesus practiced, practiced and practices empathy, especially toward people who are drowning. We know this because Jesus told us that this is his personal, personal mission statement. In Luke chapter 4, there's a scene where Jesus is visiting the synagogue on the Sabbath day in his hometown, as was his custom, Luke tells us, and he was called upon to read the scripture for that week. And the scripture for that week was Isaiah chapter 61, and let's just pick up Luke chapter 4 and see what Jesus tells us is his personal mission. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, 
And this is the quote of Isaiah 61. This is what Jesus reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. When it says the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, anointed one is, is Messiah or in Greek, Christ. So Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's, it's a, a word for the anointed one. And so Jesus is saying in a, in a not so veiled way, I am the Christ and here is my mission from Isaiah 61. And notice the very first line that we read, to proclaim good news to the poor. When Jesus announces his personal mission statement, it begins with to proclaim good news to the poor. It's been said, if it's not good news to the poor, then it's not the good news of Jesus Christ. And so if you're following along here and you like to take notes or you just, you're a structure person, here's the beginning of maybe an outline for you during the sermon. We will know we're following the real Jesus when our lives proclaim good news to the poor. In a world in which some have yachts and some are drowning, this world is not as it should be. And when you hear that, you might immediately think, well, absolutely, I am in complete agreement. And you might be thinking about yourself, I'm not doing as well as I did a few years ago. Or maybe I'm not doing as well as my parents. And this past April, Forbes reported that there's one more disturbing trend that the pandemic has accelerated, inequality. We've been struggling with for a long time in the United States, economic inequality, the wealth gap, the income gap. High wage jobs have returned to their pre-pandemic levels, but jobs for the lowest paid workers, those earning less than $27,000 per year, are still 29.9% below their pre-pandemic level. This article is from a few months ago, but you can see the disparity even in the way we've recovered from the lockdown. The pandemic has made the wealth gap wider, and those at the bottom have suffered worse than people at the top. And, and it's not just money. Would you agree with me that it seems like American society is suffering from an epidemic of a lack of empathy? When you see people mistreat a server at a restaurant or, or punch a retail worker, I mean, you see those news stories where people are just trying to do their job and it's like there's this rash of, of meanness to people who are just trying to do their job. We're not just dealing with a, with a, a physical virus, but it seems like there's, a, there's another virus that we're dealing with, this lack of empathy and division and hatred in our culture. And so we're not in the same boat, but it seems like that's getting worse. And in a world where the world is not as it should be, and some people have yachts and some people are drowning, God calls us when we follow Jesus to partner with God to do something about that. And for some people, it just sounds like kind of goody two-shoes. Like, let's be a good person. Okay, I got up out of bed today. I came here. I'm watching online. What's in it for me? That's kind of how we're conditioned to think, to even approach a sermon. 
And the, the truth is there are things that are in it for us with the kind of stuff that Brad Jerzak is talking about in this chapter. But it also starts with empathy. Wait a second. Even if I'm not drowning, empathy, the core teaching of Jesus, calls me to see life through the eyes of people who are. And it may not be just money, but drowning in all kinds of way. Loneliness, anxiety, estrangement from family members in the time that we live in. It starts with empathy. So back when I was in college in Ohio, I took a, a ministry class that was, a, it was kind of a practical ministry class because not all ministry classes are practical. I can guarantee you that. But this was more of a practical uh, ministry class, and, and the, the class was focused on how pastors and churches can address the needs of people experiencing poverty and people who are marginalized. And part of the class was a trip to Washington, D.C. that I think was about seven days. And during that trip, we were going to, it was like a giant field trip to D.C., but different than usual. We are going to visit lots of ministries that specialized in addressing the practical needs that people feel, poverty, job search, addressing homelessness, that kind of thing. And as a part of that trip, one day in D.C. was going to be a homeless simulation day where all of us students were going to try to live life for a day the way that a person experiencing homelessness would. And the idea was to help us to enter into their experience and, and to see firsthand how churches and, and good people who want to follow Jesus can address the needs of people. And before we went, the pr professor was trying to get us ready for the trip, and, and he said, uh, you know, for the, for the homeless simulation day, what we're going to do is put on like an, an old flannel and then some tattered jeans and maybe some, you know, some tattered shoes and don't shave for a couple of days and, and take a backpack with you. And this wasn't long after Nirvana, and like grunge music was really big. And so I, I thought, in other words, you want me to just dress the way I always do, every single day. This is nothing new for me. That's fine. And, and that's a stereotype of people who are experiencing homelessness. You, you may not tell but by looking when somebody is experiencing homelessness, but I realize, okay, really what you want us to do is just dress up like 90s college students. Got it. We can, we can handle that. So we went to D.C., and, and I guess the, the stereotypes kind of worked because as we walked around downtown in groups of three and three guys and, and you know, I remember walking down the sidewalk and some folks were coming towards us who were dressed far better than we were and they would kind of make a circle around us and, and make sure there was some distance between them and us as though we were a threat to them. And I remember feeling that that feeling of being looked down upon that I'm not used to. I remember the feeling of, of thinking, man, that person's trying to avoid me. They see me as a threat. They want to get away from me. And that's the, they see me, and their response is to want to get away from me. And it, it worked. I definitely started to feel empathy from people who go through life Maybe they're not experiencing homelessness. Maybe there are other things in their lives or part of who they are. And there are people in their lives who kind of want to go around them and keep a distance from them or who want to avoid them or who view them as a threat in some way because of who they are or what they believe or, yes, maybe their economic condition. 
And I definitely felt empathy. Now, more than that, though, as we went to these different churches and ministries that were, that were helping to serve people who are experiencing homelessness, we found out pretty quickly, oh, you go to the Episcopalian church for the soup kitchen, and then the Methodists are giving out free socks, and then you can go over to this Christian group, and they're operating a house where you can, you can you know, get a room, and they'll help you, you know, gain employment and save money and get back on your feet again, and we went to several of these places. Oh, this church over here, they'll let you use the bathroom. I was shocked, by the way, at how much time and energy was consumed with was trying to figure out where to use the bathroom as we went through the simulation for a day. And so you go from church to church to church, and you have these people who are standing in line serving food. You have people who are, who are welcoming, and, and they're not walking in a big circle around me. They're, they're talking, oh, what's your name and what's your experience? How long have you been here in D.C.? And getting to know me, and some of them found me out pretty quickly that I, that I was acting. And... and because they were, they were good at it, they were used to this. And, and I saw the empathy that they displayed towards people who live in that kind of a situation every day. But I felt their empathy. I felt cared for. Do you have people in your life, when you're around them, you can feel their empathy toward you? Do you have people like that? I hope so. I hope you do. Those are real friends people who really care for you and they don't judge you or look down on you. They're not trying to avoid you, but they're willing to enter into your experience. And I, I, yes, I learned to empathize with people who are experiencing homelessness, but I felt the empathy that comes from people of faith who wanted to follow Jesus Christ, the way that Brad Jerzak talks about in the book. And I realized no matter what your economic condition but like I said, there are people who do walk the big circle around us or they avoid us or maybe it's your faith journey and there are people who have a problem with your faith journey and, and the questions that you have about your faith and they view you as a threat in some way. You may be hurting financially. It could be emotionally. It could be something else. But all of us need empathy. Empathy shows that you, you, you that you're not alone, that you're not some freak that, that should be avoided and looked down upon but you're a human being who matters. And as a quick commercial before we move on, next week we're going to start a brand new sermon series called Live Well. And that's what we're talking about in this series. You may not be poor and drowning, but the past few years probably have been some of the most difficult years of your life, if not the most difficult time of your life. And, and the past few years have challenged our health and our well-being, at least for me, probably more than any other Time. We've experienced anxiety from the pandemic, from our political situation, from strained relationships. And then you add that to the COVID shutdown and all that anxiety. And, and many of us, if you're like me, you've been tempted to overeat or overdrink and exercise less and, and maybe not care for yourself spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally as much as, as much as you would like. Maybe relationships have been strained. And so in this series, we're going to explore time-tested wisdom from the scripture about how to live well, especially in a difficult time. And so next week, we're starting with, what do you do when life doesn't go well? When things aren't going well for you? Yes, the, the questions that you have, why God would allow this, but also just the emotional impact of disappointment when life is not going well. And then week by week, we'll talk about emotional wellness, relational wellness, physical wellness. And then on Thanksgiving Sunday, we'll talk about spiritual wellness. And so join us starting next week for this new series, Live Well. But as I read these chapters, I was reminded of how good it feels to make a difference. And this is where we start talking about what's in it for you. 
even if you're not drowning. If, you're, if you feel like maybe I kind of do have a yacht, so to speak, or at least I have a canoe, then I'm doing okay. Well, partnering with God to make a difference with your life, well, there's something in it for you as well. I was reminded of a, of a guy named Tracy Washington. And there's a food bank and community center in Chandler called Azend. And it's been in operation since, since 1966. And, and they're the organization in Chandler that coordinates IHELP and some other rental assistance programs and, and assistance to help get people off the street and plug them into a job. And they have a, a large food bank. They have a distribution on Friday mornings that some of you have volunteered at before where you can get a shopping cart and you take food to, out to people's cars or maybe they have a cart. And you can help to distribute food on a Friday morning. But I, I did some fundraising and marketing work for them a few years ago. And at the time, uh, Tracy was the longest serving employee at Zend. And I have a, a picture of Tracy. This is from a social media ad that we made. And I asked him one day, you know, what do you appreciate the most about being the food bank manager here? Because that was his job. He was the manager of the food bank. And he said it gives him so much joy that day after day he hears words of gratitude from people that the food bank serves. And he said, obviously, there's a stereotype that some people have that people who are struggling, they're freeloaders or they're, they, they're entitled and they're just looking to game the system. And he said, I, in my experience, nothing could be further from the church, the, the, from the truth. He said, there are people who are doing their best, sometimes working you know, two jobs, three jobs. And he said, I've heard thank you every day of my life for the past 14 years. Is that awesome? from people that he was serving at the food bank. And he was used to moving these big food boxes around. He oversaw a staff of people, but he was, he was a hands-on leader, and he would push around these big pallets of food. He's just a big jacked guy, just you know, in great you know, physical shape from, from the work he was doing, and a great leader and a good person who cared about people. And, and during the time that I was helping them, Zend celebrated their 50th anniversary in 2016. Uh, here in Chandler. Some of you were there, were there, I think, at that event. And because he was the longest serving employee, Tracy was invited to give a speech about his experience there. And, and, and I'll summarize part of what he said, and then I'm going to read an excerpt from Tracy's speech. He said he volunteered for the food bank in, the first time in 2001 because his son wanted to volunteer and his son didn't want to go alone. So Tracy, being a good dad, just went with him to help, to help out his son. And he said at the time, uh, Tracy was pursuing a, a degree in criminal justice. But the same week that he volunteered, the current food truck driver resigned. And Tracy volunteered to drive the food truck to pick up food from local donors. Okay, so you have to be careful. The food bank was just like church. You volunteer one time, and it could lead to years and years of doing the same work, and that's what happened to Tracy. So the director at the time, though, wouldn't let him do it for free because it was a paid position, and so they paid him $6.50 an hour to drive this food drunk. And he said, yeah, that's $6.50 more than you need to pay, but I'll do it. And so he drove the food truck. And he also would perform maintenance on the vehicle, and, and he would help to warehouse the food items and count the inventory, and you can see it just kind of snowballed. And, and he said when he... When he graduated with his bachelor's in criminal justice, they still didn't have a food bank manager. And he said, you know what? I can't stop doing this. And instead of pursuing a career in criminal justice, which is what he had gone to college for, he decided to be the manager of the food bank full time. He said, I can't stop. I can't leave this. 
And so uh, he said that uh, instead of instead of pursuing a, a career in criminal justice, I came on at the full uh, full time at the food bank. And now I'm going to read an excerpt from the speech he gave at the 50th anniversary gala. He said, as I look back on my early days at the food bank, I remember being struck by all the people who were in need. I will never forget two young children who came through the line one day with their mother to receive food. The children's faces were shining with happiness. One of the children said, thank you. Now we will be able to eat tonight and tomorrow morning. As little children, that was as far into the future as they could see but they expressed their thankfulness that because of the food bank, they would be able to eat just for another day. And then he went on to say, I remember another time when a mother came to volunteer on Fridays and, and then get a food box. So she volunteered and then she received a food box because she needed one for her own family. And one Friday, she saw that her son's high school class had come to volunteer that morning. And when she saw his teacher, she asked to leave early and get a food box in private. She was afraid that her son would be teased if she was seen receiving a food box here. He said, I've seen the embarrassment that many people feel because they need help. They would rather not accept help if they had the choice, but they're thankful that we're here. And I've learned that we might be tempted to judge a book by its cover, but we don't really know a person's story until we talk with them. That's empathy. Now, a few months before he gave this speech, which was in October of 2016, Tracy had been diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. And he was losing weight rapidly. It was, it was a shock to everybody because he's, he's a young guy. And to see this guy who was just all muscles losing weight like this, it was difficult. But he kept coming to work every day. <laughs> he, he started chemo. And as he's losing weight, he had a chemo belt on. And he kept coming to work wearing his chemo belt. And shocked, you know, I actually said to somebody, you know, why is he doing that? And they said, because he wants to. And, and so he kept working every day, even while going through chemo and this aggressive form of cancer, and a, a prognosis that was not good. And then that, that night in October, when he was giving the speech, he said, someone asked me recently why I come to work during my chemo treatments, even when I feel sick. Clients who have found out about it have thanked me for being here. They encourage me. So it's, just, it's not just us helping our clients, but they are giving me encouragement and hope. Yes, Azend is supportive of our clients, but our clients have been very supportive of us. And so I've experienced the truth that when we sow seeds of hope into others' lives, those seeds of hope grow and come back into our lives as well. How powerful is that? That's what's in it for you, friend. Showing empathy and then receiving empathy back. And he ended his speech by saying, I love what I do. There has never been a day when I didn't want to go to work. The truth is I would do it for free. The joy and gratitude I feel from our clients, the happiness on children's faces when they know where their next meal is coming from and the changed lives we see makes my work at his end a labor of love. Now, the cancer took his life a few months after that. And this is true of, of Tracy Washington. And now they, they give out a, an annual Tracy Washington Spirit Award 
to the person who has been like their, their most uh, committed volunteer that year, the only thing that could get Tracy Washington out of that food bank was death. He served and gave and volunteered and empathized and talked with people and heard thank yous and, and saw the shining looks on children's faces. And he refused to leave it. And the only thing that could get him out of there was death. That is fulfillment. And there are so many of us who go through life, and, and we, we do give, and we, we help out and that kind of thing. But I think if, if you're anything like me, and I'll speak for myself, it's easy to go through life being concerned about my own needs and just you know, trying to get a promotion at work or take care of my own family and try to stay away from COVID and try to you know, deal with all the issues that we're dealing with now. And I forget, so easy for me to forget, that when I get involved and I donate food to a food bank or I volunteer at something like the food bank or I help or something like that, it makes my life better. Not only do I give empathy, but I receive so much in return. Because ultimately what's happening is, no matter who we're serving, no matter what their experience of life is, we're connecting with other people. We're experiencing our common humanity. Yes, I'm entering into their experience, but somehow I'm reminded of my own life. That could be me, by the way, that's in their experience. And somehow I feel this connection to other people that is the basis of true spirituality. Peace, rest, what people are looking for when people try to practice a spiritual life. That's what empathy does. And as Brad Jerzak said earlier, we'll look at that quote again, Jesus fulfills all love by the supreme act of empathy, becoming flesh and taking on the likeness of a fallen human race in order to what? Heal the human race. That when I get involved, when I show empathy to other people, it may not be serving at a food bank now that we're talking about. It might be listening to somebody. It might be spending time with somebody. It might be Zoom, you know, having a Zoom call with somebody who's isolated and lonely. Somebody in our church told me this morning, she said, I'm going to go hang out with somebody who's really having a hard time. And that's, that's it. It's showing empathy. It's entering into the experience of another person. And it makes our lives better. Followers of Jesus experience the fulfillment and meaning of proclaiming good news to the poor. Fulfillment and meaning. And, and the kind of joy and peace and the connection that comes from that. That's something that money can't buy. No matter how big the house is in the Southeast Valley, no matter how cool the cars are, money can't buy that experience. And it is something that you and I desperately need. Maybe we could say it like this. Making other people's lives better makes our lives better. And I need to be reminded. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that in a culture that tells me to think about myself and just try to promote and try to you know, be a yuppie and upward mobility all the time. I need challenges like this to remind me that making other people's lives better makes our lives better. So over the next few months, as we come to a close here, we're going to be brainstorming all kinds of ways that we can show empathy and enter into the experience for other people. There is I Help that's on the table, which is a, a, a program at a Zen where people who are experiencing homelessness can be housed and get meals made for them. And, and there are other volunteers that do their laundry while they get employment. And it's just an amazing program. Maybe we can help with I Help. 
There are other things locally we can do globally. We've been reminded in the pandemic, we have people here in our church that have connections with Indonesia. And people of Indonesia have had a different experience with the pandemic that we have. We, they, they haven't had the vaccines available. They haven't had the medical care that we have. And there have been whole families that have been decimated. What does it mean to enter into the experience of people around the world and show empathy? But here's one small thing we can do as a church, just one practical action step. We could hold a food drive right before Thanksgiving as we're brainstorming these other ways. Well, this is something we can do. And so we're going to hold a Thanksgiving food drive to benefit Zend, the same food bank that Tracy Washington led for all those years. And so the collection day, if you're in person here, is going to be November 21st, and we'll have a big bin, and you can bring in canned goods at wellchurch.org. You can see a list of items that are the most needed items, and you can bring those in on November 21st. If you're watching online, there's actually a virtual food drive option, and we'll share more info about that, but you can, you can uh, donate food virtually online without having to go and drop off uh, food anywhere else. And, and so they have the in-person option and the online option. And typically when you're in person and you do a food drive, you'd put a bin out now and then every week people would bring canned goods and you would just kind of see that pile grow, correct? Isn't that the way it normally is done? But we're portable here. So all of this equipment needs to torn down. And so we would, we would have our people you know, constantly uh, you know, moving bigger and bigger piles of canned goods in and out of the sanctuary every, every week. And so we figured, you know, we're, we're just going to keep talking about it, promoting it. And then November 21st, we'll all bring in our stuff and have a huge pile of stuff here. And we can fill up a truck with it and take it to Ascend. And then those of you who can give virtually online, you can donate food there. But that's just a small way of empathizing and entering into the experience of other people. And then if you haven't experienced this, you will. That making other people's lives better makes your life better as well. And so as we wrap up this series, I'm thankful that the book closed with really what is the core teaching of Jesus. Whether you call it the golden rule, the great commandment, it's, it's empathy. Entering into the experience of another person. Suffering with them. Listening to them crying with them, taking some food to them if that's what they need. And partnering with God is part of our healing. It's not just us being good people or the saviors. That's God's job. But as we partner with God and we let God love other people through us and show empathy through us, that does something for us as well. Fulfillment, meaning, like Tracy Washington experienced, but making other people's lives better makes our lives better, and it heals us. I invite you to pray with me. Oh God, we're thankful for this book, A More Christ-like Way, that served as our all-church study here for the past six weeks. And God, some parts of this book were, were especially challenging, Challenge us to move out of our comfort zones. Challenge us to see in a new way. And this might be one of them. In the isolation of the pandemic and in the anxiety of the pandemic and trying to take care of ourselves and take care of our immediate family members and friends, a lot of us have been pulled out of routines. Maybe some of us were volunteering in different places. 
we've been pulled out of that routine. And it just seems like we're living in a time of increasing isolation and division and even meanness when there is a, a decreasing amount of empathy in America. And it's leading to more shootings and, and people just being mean to essential workers. And, and it just seems like we're going downhill. This is a message that we all need. We all need empathy. And especially those who are drowning, like the meme said. If you feel like you're one of the people who is drowning, empathy says to you, you're not alone. Jesus empathizes with you. And the supreme act of empathy is Brad Jerzak writes, you're not alone. And perhaps you can form community with people here who can love you and accept you as you are. If you're somebody who feels like, yeah, you know, during the pandemic, yeah, I've had a hard time, but, I, but I've had a lot easier than other people. It's been a canoe or it's been a yacht in some ways. Well, this is a reminder now that following Jesus in the Jesus way, as Brad Jurisak says, gives us the calling and the privilege of showing empathy and entering into the experience of other people and sharing what we have because this world is not as it should be, but we can, we can partner with God and experience the fulfillment and meaning that comes from that partnering with God to make a difference with our lives, which is the third value at our church, that you can partner with God to make a difference with your life. And as we do that, we give empathy and we also receive it. Like Tracy said, people saying thank you and appreciating what's happening and, and we experience this level of connection that is becoming more and more rare in America. And making other people's lives better makes our lives better. God, we thank you for this challenge to walk in the Jesus way. And we thank you, God, that we'll continue to be able to do that more and more effectively here as the, as the days and weeks go by. Thank you for what you've done in our minds and our hearts and our lives in this series. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.